With the news media reporting increasingly more data breaches and cybersecurity events, and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. We're here to help you prevent potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the 81st episode of my show. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Player FM, Google Play, or whatever your favorite podcast or news app is. Also, please subscribe to my show on the Voice America Business Channel website. Then you'll be notified just as soon as each new show is available. Thank you to all my 150,000 plus listeners throughout the world. I truly do appreciate you and thank you for tuning in. My November Privacy Professor Tips message was published at the end of October. Please sign up for them. I've provided them free since 2007 in an effort to increase awareness of information security and privacy issues, and also to provide a free awareness publication for organizations to send to their employees. As you know, it's hard to get funds to do that. So this is something you can use to uh, raise awareness and support compliance. You can sign up for them by going to privacyguidance.com and submitting your email in the box in the upper right part of your screen. So today I am covering a topic that I have not covered for a few months, and that is cybercrime. Since January of 2018, I've done 16 shows focusing on cybercrime. And some of these, if you're looking back at some of my past shows, some of these shows include why weakening encryption for law enforcement access is a bad idea with Dr. Eugene Spafford. Also, how Rob Sand caught the criminal who committed the largest lottery fraud in history with Rob Sand himself, computer hacking crimes and prosecutions with Mark Rash, and he actually created the U.S. Department of Justice Computer Crime Unit and Cyber Forensics Practice, and Backdoors in Cybersecurity Tools gives privacy only to outlaws with Dr. Phil Zimmerman, who, by the way, created the still popular PGP encryption. So we are having quite an interesting year, this 2020, being the year of the COVID-19 pandemic. And it has also become, as a result, the year of globally widespread working from home offices and attending school online from home. 
cybercrime is increasing really dramatically in ways never before seen. So I am so happy to speak today with someone who has been researching cybercrime and teaching thousands of university classes about cybercrime for the past three or so decades to many folks who are now themselves celebrated cybercrime lawyers and cybercrime fighting professionals. Today, I am speaking with Pauline Reich. Pauline is an American lawyer, academic, mediator, and arbitrator. Pauline was a full professor at Waseda University School of Law in Tokyo, Japan from 1995 to 2017. She was founder and director of the Asia Pacific Cyber Law, Cybercrime, and Internet Security Research Institute. And Pauline is currently a senior fellow at the Center of Excellence for National Security at Nanyang Technological University in Singapore. Since 2003, Pauline has been the sole editor of the popular law publication, Cybercrime and Security from Thomson Reuters. Pauline is a founding member of the Information Network Law Association of Japan and a current member of the Singapore Chapter of International High Technology Crime Investigation Association. Pauline has been a consultant to the United Nations Secretary General's Office and a member of an expert team, the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime, reviewing cybercrime curriculum modules for universities throughout the entire world and so much, much more. You can contact Pauline using the email address cyberasia2 at gmail.com. Pauline, thank you so much for being my guest today. Welcome to my show. Hello, Rebecca. I'm glad to be here and uh, in good company of other people who work in the cybercrime field. I, I know some of them. I, I Let me make a correction. I've been working in this area since around 2003. So it's not yet three decades, although this morning, it's now morning in Singapore where I am. This morning, it feels like three decades because uh, anyway, yes. <laughs> it's very early. <laughs> Yes, early. Well, I do appreciate you getting up early to talk with me. And I know my listeners are going to get a lot out of um, our discussion. So as you know, we have listeners from all over the world. And I always like to make sure that we establish a common basis of understanding for everyone who's listening in. So to establish that common understanding, could you please spend just a a short amount of time giving a short overview of what you mean when you're talking about cybercrime and maybe even give an example or two? Absolutely. Well, here's one of our many problems. Uh, There is no such definition. Uh, We have uh, one international treaty, the Council of Europe Cybercrime Convention, and at this point, only 65 countries worldwide have ratified it. So it's used as a guide by many countries, but some countries ignore it. The the non 
uh, EU countries, the non-European countries that have ratified, in other words, out of the 65, these are the names of the countries that have ratified. I'm going to do it quickly. Argentina, Australia, Cabo Verde, Canada, Chile, Colombia, Costa Rica, Dominican Republic, Ghana, Israel, Japan, Mauritius, uh, Morocco, Panama, Paraguay, Peru, the Philippines, Senegal, Sri Lanka, Tonga, and the United States. So at this point, those countries have said, yes, we will follow the model, and, and other countries haven't decided. I work a lot with India. India is an example. They, they've sent representatives to the Council of Europe meetings in um, Strasbourg, France, which I've attended for about 15 years. And they come, they look, and then nothing um, ensues. I don't know where they stand on that. But I'm here in Singapore, which is a very sophisticated, advanced country in the cyber area. Mm -hmm. And they have not ratified the convention. So it's very, very open. Now, I want to give you some examples. And let me again. Yeah. And maybe just, um, well, yeah. uh, in the interest of time, why yeah. I think those examples, it will help if you maybe talk about those examples as they relate to what we're currently dealing with. Um, I know that our listeners uh, will appreciate he hearing all of those countries. So that's very, very helpful. But I want to take that thought about those countries that you just listed. And let's now think about cybercrime, because I know in communicating with you before the show, you uh, mentioned to me that cybercrime has been increasing since the be beginning of this year when the COVID-19 pandemic started becoming, being noticed and it impacting more countries throughout the world. So can maybe you describe how it's been increasing throughout this year as a result of COVID-19 and, and provide some of those examples uh, in that uh, context? Well, I'll be giving you some specific examples a little later, but uh, I wanted to explain that a lot of data is U.S. based so and, and transparent and available. But when you try to research other countries and get statistics, they don't post statistics. So I was starting to give you some examples of what we're seeing in cybercrime indictments by U.S. Department of Justice recently, recent okay. statistics. Okay, Great. so we're, these are some examples, not only COVID related, but uh, these, this is a sampling of cybercrime uh, issues. Um, uh, cyber stalking seems to be getting a lot of attention from US Department of Justice. Now the question is, is it a problem in other countries? So this is important. You have to look at your own country and what what law you have and what what kinds of arrests and prosecutions there are, and that data may not be available. Okay, so cyber wait, stalking. Before you go forward yeah. with that though, keep in mind a lot of our listeners might not know what you mean by cyber stalking. In fact, sure. we have a lot of folks, uh, high school students even, and college sure. students, in addition to, to professionals who've been in the business for a long time. So yeah, maybe a brief mention of what you mean by cyber stalking. Sure. So we've, we've had some pretty bad cases in the United States that have been prosecuted. 
And there's a lawyer who specializes in this area in New York. So un, let's say unwanted um, uh, attention where someone will hack into your account. And there may be threats also. People have actually gone to jail for some of the threats that have been posted to victims. So that's one area, but I'm seeing cases of cyberstalking getting prosecuted in the United States. But I, I don't have the data from uh, worldwide data. And we need, really, we need to get more data out because the international organizations don't necessarily do the kind of issue-by-issue uh, issue reporting or statistical reporting that we're getting from the United States. So continuing with what else I've seen, uh, video game piracy, theft of trade secrets is a big one right now in the United States. Hacking. Hacking is a long-term one, and it continues. Uh, hacking uh, technology companies, but it can be hacking uh, a, small, a small business. Law firms get hacked, too. Mm -hmm. um, school districts in the United States are getting hacking. And an interesting thing that uh, we've seen reported is hacking into Zoom uh, when it's used by educational institutions uh, in the U.S., and I think we've seen some of this in uh, in Singapore. Mm. Bitcoin, Bitcoin has been, you know, a, a big issue when it's used for money laundering uh, it, by criminals, and there there continue to be some international cyber fraud cases. There's something involving North Korea that's been reported. Yeah. Uh, uh, computer hacking, targeting government employees. There have been some very big cases in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Now, um, anyway, so um, they're uh, hacking group members in the U.K. Uh, a U.K. national was sentenced to prison for uh, hacking, being a member of a hacker group. Um, economic espionage, uh, uh, computer intrusions, um, uh, that were targeting particular companies. We found a group of New Jersey companies that were targeted. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, there, there were. Uh, there was a U.S. complaint filed to. Uh, to I'm sorry. Um, Okay, this was, yeah, this was the North Korean actors. There was uh, a, a U.S. government complaint filed to make these companies forfeit 280 stolen cryptocurrency accounts. So mm. this, this was tied to hacks of two cryptocurrency exchanges by North Korean actors. So now the interesting thing that I found is that the U.S. Department of Justice has indicted uh, people who have never been in the United States and may never go to the United States. Mm -hmm. But there's this tactic to sort of name and shame uh, yeah. people outside the U.S. And uh, so we're seeing some of those cases. Th this was just a sampling of sure. what kinds of cases. Some of these were from October this year from U.S. Department of Justice. But can I get the same data from other countries? The answer is no. Interesting. So, so a lot of those you mentioned those have been going on, like you said, all the uh, a lot of these tactics have been going on for a while. The Zoom 
uh, hacking, you know, like you said, with schools and a lot with even business yes. uh, meetings is going on. So, sure. so what type of, besides the Zoom hacking, uh, and maybe even with that, what are some of the, the new types of cyber crimes that were created really um, after COVID came along and people started, you know, working from home more and just changing their entire work habits and lifestyles. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing something, anything completely new going on this year? Well, let, let me go back to the existing ones and, and where they are right now, mm-hmm. because the travel industry, I'll go, I'll do a little bit by industry. The, um, the hotel industry has been attacked over the years, and there continue to be attacks on the hotel industry and also the airline industry. And the the industry that I've been uh, looking at over the past year is healthcare. Mm. And uh, the the question is, are the I'm sorry, let me back up. We're now seeing more internet-connected medical devices. We've Mm -hmm. had them in the past, but with the advent of 5G networks, which will increase the numbers of um, devices being used by hospitals and clinics and and medical institutions, we need to pay more attention to the network-connected devices that will increase when 5G is introduced. Now, some countries have 5G already, other countries are still in 3G Networkville. Oh. So, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we really have to look at the whole world. And the whole world is not on the same page with respect to the 5G networks. Again, I'm in a very advanced country, Singapore. And I was in Japan, another very advanced country. And I'm an American. I go to the United States, and that's another uh, very advanced country. So, but when you look at a country, again, I'm back to India. They're they're not at the same. They're 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 uh, going to be involved with 5G. But the question is, how much adoption will there be? But there'll be more vu- vulnerability. Now, in terms of a theme that we sometimes meet, we've had romance scams around for a long time. Yes. And, and what they are is an adaptation of the Nigerian scam letters that I I worked on many years ago. Mm-hmm. But we're seeing the same uh, scenario of the same kinds of um, uh, cons, con artists. Yes, yes. Same kinds, not the same people, but we we do know certain countries uh, that have been identified um, for these kinds of scams, and there have been arrests. Sometimes the scammers will come from Africa and mm-hmm. go to Malaysia. There have been arrests in Malaysia for some of these folks. And the Australian Federal Police have, have helped with the romance scams. Um, and uh, they, they've been, uh, well, if you go to YouTube, you can see some of their work online. So are there, is there something new 
absolutely well new. let's go back to that yeah. romance scam though because i would sure uh, i think that is uh important for our listeners to be aware of because i know and it, it you know it's probably hit you too but on facebook oh i would say at least two or three times a week i get um friend requests and i can tell when i'm getting them the the first uh clue is it's around someone trying to do a romance scam on me but i can tell by the photo and the fact that they don't have anything else there but i always go right to the likes to see what they like and almost inevitably i will see all of these um likes for things that are going on in either africa i mean i'm talking about they've liked about 50 or 60 different things in Africa or in India. And it's like, yeah, that doesn't even match what the profile is of the person who they are claiming to be. Or I, you know, take their photo and do an image search, Google image search. And it's like, yeah, right. They're using someone else's photo. Uh, and I'm sure you've gotten those too, haven't you, Polly? Well, this is where I, I, uh, got interested in it, more interested in it, yeah. was when I, I attended the RSA conference here in Singapore. And uh, I think it was last year's conference. It's Asia Pacific and Japan. And uh, the they had some very interesting uh, programs about how you can clone people's photos, clone mm-hmm. their voices, the technology it makes it possible to uh, impersonate someone. So what we found was a pattern of U.S. military yes. having having their IDs uh, identity stolen. And then I spoke to someone from uh, a Canadian from his military, and I said, "Is this spreading to Canada?" <coughs> Excuse me. And he said that there was also some discussion in Europe. So what we've seen with the romance scams is that the technology is enabling um, very sophisticated uh, 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 scamming behavior. And um, how many are prosecuted? We're we're, I'm yeah. getting ahead of myself, but no, go ahead and we, let us know. That's yeah, good. yeah. I think that it, it, they're so exasperated by these kinds of crimes. I'll tell you why. They're very labor intensive, and there mm-hmm. just isn't the funding in most police agencies or even in the military to uh, be able to track who's doing what. Mm-hmm. So we're not seeing prosecutions. So. They're not doing the prosecutions because they just don't have the money to pursue it. But the people committing the crimes, it sounds like it's something that's fairly easy for them to do. And do they get away with it quite often? I mean, what do you have any types of like money that they're making off of their victims? Let's say I was uh, someone who is, you know, fell for it. What could I stand to lose? What are some of the uh, losses that these victims have have experienced? Again, we we don't get the statistics. So we need we need somebody to uh, quantify the the money quantities. Sometimes you find in commercial vendors that will sell data if you're a subscriber. But what we need is a a center 
that will provide that kind of data. The Council of Europe Cybercrime uh, Project, called the Octopus Project, doesn't seem to have huge amounts of funding anymore. So I think we're going to be, and, and you know, there's Interpol and Europol also, but we're, they're not producing the statistics that we need if we're researchers uh, publishing and we're, we're providing uh, information to the whole world. So this right. is a, a, a problem. And with the economic impact of COVID on economies, yeah. my, my concern is that we're, we're going to be neglecting the, um, the scams and it's, it, we really need to look at funding the uh, ongoing research so we can produce the statistics and assist the uh, law enforcement people. Now, I don't know what's available internally in Interpol, for example. Interpol has the Global Center for Innovation here in Singapore, but the police do not welcome outsiders to, when they're meeting at the Council of Europe or at RSA. They have separate meetings. I'm not law enforcement. I'm a lawyer. So I am not part of the brotherhood. Uh, and it's mostly a brotherhood. Interesting. Well, and like you mentioned, there's greater opportunity now because of less funding, because of the circumstances. So I don't know. I would think I would... Um, probably uh, have a theory that those criminals are getting away with a lot more than than they used to perhaps so you know we're coming right up on a break right now and when we come back you mentioned uh, something that I know my listeners are going to be interested in we'll start getting into Europol and Interpol when uh, we come back but right now it's time for a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Today, I am speaking with Pauline Reich, cybercrime and law expert, author, and university professor. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the privacy professor. You can contact me with questions and comments about this show, as well as send me show topic suggestions using my email, RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com, and also through my privacyguidance.com website. Please stay with us. We will be right back after these important messages from my sponsors. The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, research, report writing, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyguidance.com. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages she has published since 2007. Visit privacyguidance.com for help and answers to your questions. The Privacy Security Brainiacs team wants everyone responsible for security, privacy, and compliance to stay up to date with the latest news, risks, and security and privacy practices. Check out their growing library of topics not offered by others. Privacy Security Brainiacs also wants every business to perform automated risk assessments, which are free or value-priced for all types of security and privacy topics. You need to find out more about Privacy Security Brainiacs. 
Visit privacysecuritybrainiacs.com. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on the Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, and I'm speaking today with Pauline Reich, cybercrime and law expert and university professor. So before we left, we were talking about cyber criminals and some of the tactics that they were doing. And something that I had discussed uh, briefly with Pauline as we were planning for our show was, uh, well, actually, Pauline mentioned to me, you mentioned that online child abuse is increasing during the COVID lockdowns, particularly through cybercrime. Could you provide some more information about this? Sure. Uh, I'd like to refer everybody to an Interpol report that came out in September of this year, and it's called Threats and Trends, Child Sexual Exploitation and Abuse, COVID-19 Impact. So I'd like everyone, this is homework. (laughs) I'd like to, I'd like to give you uh, that assignment is, and there are recommendations for member countries, by the way, in their report. So it's, it's really worth looking at. And I'll give you a few samples. Um, They, they used the report uh, contains information from law enforcement, private entities, NGOs, and open sources collected by the Interpol Vulnerable Community Subdirectorate Crimes Against Children Unit. So these were, Interpol has member countries, most of the world, it's more than the Council of Europe uh, participation in cybercrime. And uh, they are able, they they sent out questionnaires and they, they got data. So I'd like to recommend this report. And uh, they look at um, various, uh, the problem analysis triangle is the suitable target, that's a child victim. And then there may be a guardian, may or may not be a guardian present. And then there, the likely offender could be a sex offender or a trafficker and they may appeal to children. Then they talk about a handler, which is law enforcement and offender management. Uh, I I find that term a little bit um, uh, misleading. And a manager is the electronic service provider and the law enforcement agency monitoring. And then there will be an offense, which could be online or offline. So this is how they uh, they describe it. So when you're describing that, of course, there are so many ways now that uh, children get online. We talk about Zoom and how, you know, yeah. we, we mentioned that earlier. But there are also 
IoT devices. And there's been so many reports about like home security cameras getting hacked and people actually talking to the children or through like the the webcams on uh, children's laptops or other types of computer desktop computers that they're using. Um, so is that what you're seeing as uh, being the ways in which these cyber criminals, I mean, how are they finding their victims? How do they know where to go to find children when they're online? Well, it, it, this is what the Interpol report is saying, that confinement measures, in other words, lockdowns, which we've seen in many countries, are increasing the amount of time children spend online for educational, entertainment, and social purposes. Mm -hmm. During COVID-19, children seek other ways of socializing through games, chat, social media, and they're not aware of risks. So the victims may be in lockdown with the offender. Now, I, when I've worked on some child sexual abuse cases in the United States, that is researching them, unfortunately, we've seen a lot of cases involving military. Mm -hmm. and, and I've also seen cases, UNICEF Japan was quite active in this area. And we've seen, unfortunately, parents and step-parents and guardians and others victimizing even infants. There are terrible cases. So the, the victim may be in lockdown and then they, they're bored. They may increase their risk taking even if they do have security awareness. And uh, they may also share self-generated material. So even pre-COVID, we, we had uh, criminologists looking at sexting where teenagers were sending pictures of themselves to other teenagers, and that became an issue um, in Europe and also the United States. The circulation of viral content leads to continuous re-victimization also, according to the Interpol report. Mm -hmm. Now, you, I think you would ask me a question about uh, what's happening with online investigations. And what it says is, uh, online investigators in some countries have faced some challenges in being fully operational when working from home, especially in the early lockdown stages of COVID-19. Uh, there's also an Interpol database and there's been a reduction in the use of that database and, and people haven't been uploading to the database. So this um, uh, weakens the collaboration among law enforcement agencies across the world. So there was more collaboration before COVID, oh. but there, yeah, yeah. And, oh. um, and, and then it says, the detection and removal of online content has of uh, on, sorry of online child sexual exploitation and abuse content has decreased as a result of electronic service provider monitoring teams working from home and a reliance on automated tools. So you can't just call over to the police department these days. So the monitoring and and um, 
Detection of cases is increasingly difficult for law enforcement agencies. And that's the Interpol uh, comment. Well, let what is curious to me, so you're saying that because the police or the investigators, because they're working from home, they aren't being as, I don't know, uh, thorough or they aren't being as um, active in trying to address this? I mean, why would that matter? Why, why is it that they are not as aggressive on going after these criminals because they're working at home. I mean, it's all a matter of being online using tech, right? Well, it not only because they may need to go out and and uh, arrest somebody, and they're not they're not out. So they're it's not only the reporting, okay. but there there are also obstacles to uh, getting medical treatment. Ah, There's okay. also underreporting of certain types of offenses during the pandemic. So when children are not in school, if they're going back to school, they will go to the teacher or counselor and say, uh, something's been happening at home and uh, it could be trafficking, it could be abuse in the home. We're also seeing an increase in domestic violence during COVID. So there's there may be underreporting because the victim is in the same household with the um, uh, the offender. Oh wow! Okay, well that's just horrible to think about. Now, uh, of course, a lot of online schooling is going on. I mean, I think it's probably most schools right now, or maybe majority at least, simple majority. But when they're in online classes. I wonder how many of the students and some of you students listening out there, I wonder how many of you would uh, feel comfortable telling your, your teacher online about problems. I mean, like you said, Pauline, if, if the offender, if the abuser is there in the house with them, that would be very hard for them to do. I understand that. But if it's some someone outside of the home and they've always, you know, counted on their, their teacher, uh, to talk to, hopefully there's still a way they can speak with their teachers and, and others uh, online, or maybe it's just not as easy for them to do. Well, they, they may, you're generalizing from the U.S. experience that everybody's uh, learning online. I'm in Asia. I know certain countries in Asia are teaching online, and uh, uh, Hong Kong's been pretty active. I don't know. Well, I think Singapore and Hong Kong uh, have been teaching online. I know parents who are working from home and the children are learning online. But I tried to start a project with Bloomberg here in uh, Singapore to see if we could do some uh, online teaching or help parents with what to do when when the children are at home yeah. and it, it just it didn't it didn't take off but huh. i think that some governments have been more proactive so but then i look at india mm-hmm. and that's i know india quite well i've been there many times and how many how many families have a computer at home in india they're mostly using huh. mobile to access the technology who controls that mobile? It's probably the adult. So the Interpol report says 
Countries have reported difficulties in contacting victims through conventional means. The police can't just call the child on on the adult's phone and they don't have a computer. So we can't project the situation in a place like the U.S. or Japan or or um, uh, Singapore. We can't project that on a country that barely has Internet connections. So the International Telecommunic- Telecommunications Union, ITU, a U.N. agency, has been doing capacity building with some developing countries. An example would be Cambodia or or Laos. I've been with them at Council of Europe meetings. So they're they're in a different position with respect to this issue. Mm. They just don't have that much connection. They don't they don't may or may not have computers. So we can't project what's going on in the US and the UK and Canada and and so and Singapore and Japan. We can't project that on uh, countries worldwide. They're not all in the same place. Right. Well, and talking kind of about being in the same place, I want to I hit a topic, um, skip ahead a little bit here from what, we had, what I had sent to you that what I want to talk about it, are the existing laws. And I know throughout mm-hmm. the world there are many existing laws for different types of cyber crimes. But... And they're different in every country, I assume. Uh, yes. There's cooperation, I, I would assume. But how are existing laws insufficient for these types of cyber crimes, both the ones <coughs> that have been going on and maybe even the new types of cyber crimes? You know, what, what, why, you know, are they insufficient or are they sufficient? We aren't using them appropriately or. How could they be improved if they are insufficient? Sure. Well, let me go back in history to when they created the Council of Europe Cybercrime Convention. Again, it's the only model that we have. And countries that have ratified still have the freedom to develop their own domestic cybercrime laws. So what may be illegal in uh in one country may not be illegal in another. So going back in history a bit, we were looking at child pornography and UNICEF Japan was uh, pioneering in this area. And Japan's law was different because uh, Japan has a different culture. Uh, People in Japan go to public baths. So nudity is not treated in the same way as it is in Western countries. So there was a lot of, there were a lot of problems. And then they hit the issue of, well, what if it's a manga? What if it's a cartoon depicting a child in some sexual situation? And they had to work on that. So it's, it's, there's a lot of nuance here. There's a lot of difference. And then when they created the cybercrime convention, it took them many years and many uh, versions because different countries have had different views on what constituted a cybercrime. So 
So the Council of Europe Cybercrime Convention doesn't define what is a cybercrime, but uh-huh. it says certain kinds of, of actions uh, may be um, cybercrime. So we we do see uh, a lot of you know monetary issues, uh, attacks on financial institutions, stealing, which is a traditional crime. Then gets transferred to um, to the internet issues. Now they didn't they they purposely didn't define cybercrime because they knew there would be new technologies emerging. And sure enough, we've mentioned Zoom. Who anticipated there be a Zoom yeah. or platforms like Zoom mm-hmm. back in two thousand one when the first five signers of the convention. Uh, came forward and ratified it, and then the the treaty became um, it went into effect, and then other countries could sign on. So we we I can't tell you what next year's cybercrimes will be. I can't tell you what the new devices will be, although I know what's evolving, and I follow many of the the new. Um, uh, technologies. But how how are we going to treat them under law depends on, well, the individual country deciding that this is illegal, that it violates this country's laws. Mm-hmm. So, so it's very tricky. Yeah. Yeah. So let's say here, let's say I was a victim of a cyber crime here in the U.S. Okay. And the FBI has determined that the attacker came from, I don't know, some, some European country, mm-hmm. just, just to pull one out, maybe, um, you know, Spain, just to pull it out right. of the top of my head, nothing against sure. folks in Spain. I got friends there, but, um, so what, what would be my likelihood that, uh, I would get either if I had money, I lost to some cyber criminal in Spain uh, from here in, you know, the U.S., how likely would that be? It sounds like you're saying that because the the laws are different, um, it, it's hard to determine how easily we would be able to um, prosecute those cyber criminals in other countries. I mean, right. do countries cooperate with each other traditionally for these types of cyber crimes? Well, here's what happens. If if there can be bilateral agreements between countries. So even if they're not members of the cybercrime convention, they may have a bilateral agreement. Now, in the case, and also we have to look at extradition. Mm. So can, can we ask a friendly country to extradite someone. I remember a case involving, it was either Latvia, I think it was Latvia. And at first the uh, the prosecutors in Latvia would not agree to extradite the criminal, uh, the accused rather, because they didn't feel that it rose to the level of the, the cybercrime legislation in Latvia. But then they changed their minds. There was probably negotiation between governments as well as law enforcement. And ultimately, they did extradite the accused. We're dealing with extradition these days where there's a bilateral treaty or there could be a multilateral treaty. 
and the, the cybercrime convention is is that. Mm-hmm. So the but I found a flaw. There were a number of cases uh, in the United States hackers into the U.S. government, and it was very difficult for the U.K. to extradite some of the accused. They were using a rationale of mental health problems, oh. and 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 they were never sent to the United States. And when Mrs. May was um, in, I forget if she was home secretary, before she was prime minister, uh, she adopted a policy for the UK and these two individuals were never extradited, although they had hacked, I think it was NASA. Oh, wow. And they used a mental health rationale and um, they they avoided the extradition. Now, we're looking at an extradition at the moment from Canada to the United States. And that's the uh, the uh, one of the executives of Huawei. And she's Hmm. been sitting under home arrest, house arrest in Canada for I forget how long, but the U.S. has um, accused her in her personal capacity or rather, you know, her company capacity. And she's under house arrest. And her lawyers are saying there were flaws in the um, the U.S. Uh, extradition uh, uh, demand. And she and the Canadian court has refused to extradite her. There, there are additional hearings pending. So extradition really is, uh, it's been used, not a lot, but it depends on whether there's an agreement between the two countries and if they have substantially uh, similar law. It's very complicated. But I, in terms of volume, you know, it's, I'll say this and, and, you know, say it again, it's very time consuming and very labor intensive to prove a cybercrime case. So uh, I think what DOJ, U.S. Department of Justice does is a kind of triage. And they say, where, you know, where are we going to have, where are we going to be most effective if we prosecute So you'll find cases where there are multi-billion dollars in damages from hacking or theft of trade secrets. And I think those are those come to the the um, the forefront. But I guess you have to aggregate cases like sexual predator cases when you see um, a lot of uh, this going on and you see there's big monetary value like the romance scams. Mm -hmm. So I think that they have to prioritize because they have limited funding and limited staffing. Wow. So really it almost sounds like if you're just an individual, like if I, maybe I lost $20,000 to a cyber criminal um, it sounds like probably it would be highly unlikely that my case would rise to the top because there's these other bigger fish in the in the ocean, right? There's a lot bigger whales. I'm just a little guppy in the the big scheme of things in the digital ocean. So uh, that's kind of scary to think about when you you know you're thinking about you're an individual 
and you're getting targeted individually and you're kind of on your own. So that makes it so important to, uh, to be aware of these things and try not to be a victim to, to begin with. It sounds well, like. Well, yeah, there's also cyber uh, security insurance. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it, I think for small and mid-sized companies that don't have their, their own in-house uh, people, uh, information security people, they, it's growing, the coverage is growing in the United States, but we're not seeing so much coverage in Asia. They're, they're not right. uh, jumping on the bandwagon, but it, they are covering uh, cyber insurance, uh, cybersecurity insurance is covering, uh, I think, some of these other issues. They're even covering right. cities that have been hacked and hospitals in, in cities that have been hacked. And well, uh, and those yeah. are pretty popular too to be targets. But uh, believe it or not, we're getting towards the end of our our hour here already. Wow! And I know, but I, I want to give you an opportunity uh, to let our listeners know, maybe in a, around a minute's time or so, what is um, the main point that you want to leave our listeners with today about cybercrime or or related laws? Well. Your country may not have laws, but you you want to be an educated consumer, so to speak. So you want to see what your government has in the way of cyber uh, security awareness, uh, weeks, months, days. What are they offering online to tell you how to stay safe online? We're, we're also looking at seniors as a sector that's uh, they're vulnerable in many countries. And I've got to um, say that the government of Singapore is doing a really interesting job of going out to the seniors, telling them how to stay safe online, how to use Zoom, how to have the, the digital skills that they need. Mm-hmm. And I think it's worth looking at some of these exemplary projects and then saying, in your country, do we have something like this? First looking for it and then saying, do we have something like this that I can reach out to so that I can be more knowledgeable? And But it includes, when you look at small and mid-sized businesses, you're looking at law firms and individuals. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I could keep talking with you for another several hours about this topic. Thank you. I really appreciate you being on today. Thank Uh, you, Rebecca. So today I've been speaking with Pauline Reich, cybercrime and law expert, university professor, and editor of the law publication Cybercrime and Security from Thomson Reuters. Please send feedback about this show. Would you like to hear more about this topic? Well, just let me know. Or do you have another topic to suggest I cover? You can get in touch with me using Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. If you cannot make our scheduled debut show on the first Saturday of each month, you could hear all of my past shows, recordings of them on any of your favorite app. And also, of course, go to voiceamerica.com to the Business Channel website, and you can uh, listen to them all there and just get in touch with me if you need help with any security or privacy activity. Now, until our next show, you know, here's what I want you to do. Stay aware. Be aware of who's contacting you. And also, ask those that you do business with and that you work for 
if they are doing all that they can do to secure the information that you've entrusted to them. Be privacy aware in the month ahead. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data security and privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live the first Saturday of each month at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next time, stay safe.